0: One of the biggest questions that people ask is this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? And the short answer is they don't in a perfect world. Let me explain. There's only ever been one good person who ever lived on this planet. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus never lied. He never stole. He never hurt anybody. He never gossiped. He never did anything wrong. Jesus was a good person, a perfect person. Yet, even if you've never been to church before, I'm sure you've heard what happened to Jesus. Jesus was taken by the religious leaders of Israel in his day and turned over to the Roman governor, Pilate. And Pilate's simple task was to determine if Jesus was good or not. And at the end of the interview, Jesus passed with flying colors. In fact, Pilate came on and said, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. I don't understand why you want to kill him. And yet... Pilate succumbed to the will of the Jewish people and he had Jesus executed. So we could blame Pilate for Jesus' death or we could blame the Jewish people for Jesus' death. But actually, we need to look at ourselves and blame ourselves for Jesus' death because Jesus, the son of the living God, left heaven the perfection of heaven and came to this imperfect world and he came to die and rise again for imperfect people. So i want to take a little survey right now. If any of you are imperfect in any way, would you please raise your hand? Huh, every hand went up. Isn't that interesting? So, you know, the Bible uh, knows that we're imperfect. In fact, it calls us all sinners. Here's what it says. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. So the reason that I say bad things don't happen to good people in a perfect world is there was only one perfect person in the history of the world and we murdered him. It's an incredible thing to think about. That happened because the perfect God wanted to be in a relationship with his imperfect people. His perfection, God's perfection does not permit him to be around imperfect people. The Bible calls it holiness and because God is holy and set apart, he couldn't interact with us so he sent Jesus into this imperfect fallen world so that he could live perfectly and then die and exchange his life for ours. I also said bad things don't happen to good people in a perfect world because in a perfect world, only perfect people would exist. And it would all be good. So, you know, we consider goodness on a sliding scale. Over the years, I have talked about what I call the line theory. This is the good end of the line. This is the bad end of the line over here in the bad end of the line. Who do we have? We have murderers. We have people who, you know, traffic other people. We have people who do heinous things to other people. And then as we move up the line, we have people who gossip, people who put 22 items in their grocery cart and then go through the 20-item-or-less line. You know what I'm saying? Then at this end of the line, we have the people who pay their taxes, they love their husbands and wives, they love their children, they go to church or watch online, they give generously. So we have the good people over here, and we have those people over there, the bad people over there. Now here's the problem. There actually is a line. There actually is a line. And at this end of the line is God, and at that end of the line is everybody else, because God is good, and we're not. In fact, what Jesus' half-brother James wrote about goodness and about sin is this, very simple statement. He said, "'For the person who keeps all of the laws except one,' is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. So we could do everything perfectly all of our lives and there's just one time we do something that we ought not to do. And James says that we are now at this end of the line. So no matter how we perceive it, the reality is God is at that end of the line and we are at this end of the line and that's the rub, right? We tend to see things from our perspective, not from God's. Today's message title is Good for good. Now, after all I just said about us not being good, I need to explain that one too. What am I talking about? Well, actually, even though we're not good people, we can do good things. We can always be kind. We can. We can always be kind. We can always tell the truth. We can. In fact, I know people who don't even believe in God who tell the truth. Well, most of the time they tell the truth. And, you know, Mark Twain is credited with this saying. I don't know if he said it or not, but it's this. There are no degrees of honesty. Either you are honest or you are not. So whoever said it, the point is clear. You you can't be a little bit honest or a little bit good any more than you can be a little bit pregnant. It's either good or not good. It's either honest or not honest. So the reason that no culture on earth has ever maintained order and goodness indefinitely is because order depends on goodness and none of us are good. Now, my goal today is not to get us all in a state of despair and depression, My goal is to show us that everyone needs Jesus. My goal is to simply show us that everyone needs Jesus. Jesus didn't come to this imperfect world to give us better lives. I want you to understand that. Jesus didn't come here so we could all be at this end of the line. That's not why he came. He didn't want us to be a little bit better. Jesus didn't think if there were a couple of better laws that we would be better because what Jesus knows about the law is every law ever written has been broken by human beings. The law simply shows us we're imperfect, And if you're a person who tends to live by the rules, live by the laws, you might think what I've said so far is nonsense. But the reality is there is no one here or anywhere except for Jesus who has ever obeyed all of the laws, who has ever obeyed all of the rules. So the more we live to obey the laws, the more that we see ourselves over on this end of the line, what we do is we tend to look at people at that end of the line and we say, those people. In fact, the Pharisees in Jesus' day said, oh, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. Can you believe it? The interesting thing is the tax collectors and sinners love Jesus because Jesus loved them. Jesus offered hope to them. And the reality is salvation is nothing more or less than receiving a new life to replace an old one that is broken. We call Jesus our Redeemer. It's not a word we use a lot these days. But a redeemer is someone who pays the price of slavery to get someone out of slavery. So if I was a slave, and I was a slave to sin and death, and Jesus paid the price of freedom for me, he's my redeemer. So Jesus is my redeemer, and he's your redeemer if he has, you know, if you have responded to his offer of freedom. And the good news is followed by the, the bad news that we're all broken, that we're all sinners, that we're all, you know, at this end of the line, This microphone is sounding weird, isn't it? No? It's a new microphone, I'm not used to it. Maybe I just sound weird to myself today. Okay, bone conduction, something. All right, so let me continue. I'm over here on this end of the line, you're over here on this end of the line, we're all over here on this end of the line. And Jesus died to to give us a new life, and here's the simple truth. God loved us so much that he came to redeem us. That's the really good news. Whatever good deed we do in life, We go home today and we do something good for someone. Whatever it is, it's only going to result in one of two things. It will either be a way of saying thank you to God for his amazing goodness in Jesus Christ. Or it will tend to get us feeling like we're farther, farther, farther up the line. And you know, most people think they're better than most people. That's statistically impossible because most of us can't be better than most of us, right? But when we do good things and we don't see that those good things come from the good hand of a good God, what happens is we tend to end up on that end of the line, putting our, you know, thumbing our nose at the people that are at the other end of the line. On June 9th, for example, there was a Baptist pastor from Watauga, Texas named Dylan Oz, and he said that gay people are dangerous to society and that all homosexuals are pedophiles. He went on to say that gay people should all be lined up against a wall and shot in the back of the head. When I read that, it made me sick to my stomach. Because while he is correct that homosexual practice is a sin that God condemns, he's absolutely incorrect that he is the judge and the executioner. You see, Jesus died for all of us wherever we think we are on the line, and Jesus knows that we're all down here, and there's no group of people, no group of people who is condemned by God because they're sinners. That would mean we're all condemned. They're condemned for their sin, but Jesus died and rose again to give us new life, new life for now and forever. So if you're wondering, what does this have to do with the book of Ruth? In our summer series, One Thing Remains, well, it has everything to do with it. And if you're new here today, we have invested, you know, the first half of the summer to go through a book called Jonah in the Old Testament. And what we found out there is that God will forgive people that are so far down this line that they would, they would have, you'd have to build another stage. The Ninevites were despicable people. When they went in and took over other places, they took pregnant ladies and ripped their stomachs open and took their babies out. That's how wicked they were. And yet, when Jonah pronounced judgment on them, they repented. They turned away from their sin, and God spared them. That's the kind of God we have. And what we found so far in the book of Ruth is that there there is... (laughs) A God, even when we go through the loss of a husband, the loss of livelihood, the loss of our nation, all of those different things. And what we're going to see today, this is so powerful, redeemed people share God's redemption with others. Please understand that. Thank God that he is gracious, that he is slow to anger and filled with steadfast love. But the thing that we need to remember is Jesus calls us, you and me, after we're redeemed to be perfect even as his Father in heaven is perfect. And that's not just some kind of a wish dream. That's actually a reality that happens in the power of the Holy Spirit. So right now we're going to turn to Ruth where we're going to see something incredible. This truth comes to us today as our take-home point. If you're new, the take-home point is the one point that we're going to take from Ruth chapter 2 that we want to take home and live out in the week ahead. And here it is. Sometimes God rewards our faithfulness in tangible ways. We think that God must reward us when we're standing at this end of the line. I mean, we do good things and we think that because we're over here that God needs to do good stuff for us. The reality is this. None of us are actually over here. God is. We're actually somewhere over here and so whatever good, things happens to, whatever good thing happens to us is a gift from God. If you think about it this way, What do we deserve? I've actually had many people over the years say, you know, I don't deserve. And then they say something like, I don't deserve to have lost my job. I don't deserve to have had a loved one die. I don't deserve. And and we think that way. But the truth of the matter is, and and I've become more pastoral in my older years, and I don't say this out loud anymore, but I say it in my head, what, what we all deserve is to burn in hell forever. That's what we deserve. But here's the thing. If the only good thing that ever happened in our lives was that Jesus redeemed us from sin and death, that would be far more than we deserve. If that was the only thing that ever happened, that Jesus redeemed us and gave us a new life, that would be far more than we deserve. But as we read Ruth chapter 2 today, what we're going to find is God often does far more than that in our everyday lives. And here's the thing, God uses us, all of us, to demonstrate his redemption to others. He does. And the, Story today, we're going to be introduced to a new person. And that new person's name is Boaz. And God uses Boaz to bring a tremendous goodness into the life of Ruth. So before we turn to Ruth chapter 2, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you so much that while we have rejected your goodness, you haven't rejected us. Thank you, God. Thank you that today, right now, in this very moment, wherever we see ourselves on the line, you see us as worthy of your son Jesus, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, returning to you and sending your spirit to us. And so, God, I pray as we look at Boaz and Ruth and Naomi, that we will see your hand at work. And I pray that you will empower us by your Holy Spirit to be your hands, your feet in our world today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, and you can find that, you know, in your Bible, or if you have your your summer study guide, it's in there. It says this, verse 1, now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. If you haven't been with us, Naomi and Ruth have been the main characters in Ruth so far. In chapter 1, Naomi was married to Elimelech. They went to the land of Moab, which they were from Israel. So they left their homeland during a time of famine. And while they were there, their sons married Moabite women. And while they were there, Elimelech died. And Ruth, who is a Moabite girl, and Orpah, who married the boys of Elimelech and Naomi, the boys died. So what we have left is Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. And Ruth and Orpah are ready to follow Naomi back to Israel because Naomi somehow has found out that there's no longer a famine in Israel so they can go home. And Ruth and Orpah are both ready to come back with Naomi, but Naomi says to them, nah, girls, I mean, you, this is your home, and this is the only place where you're ever gonna have a future, so stay here. And Orpah agrees, but Ruth says No. No, your God is my God now. (laughs) I'm following the one true God, and I'm not leaving you here. I I mean, I'd rather die, is what she actually says. I'd rather die than stay here. I'm going back with you. So they find themselves back in Bethlehem, in Israel, at the end of chapter 1. But what we find out here is that Boaz is wealthy and influential, and he's a relative of Elimelech. That's going to be very important to our story. So then it says this. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi... Let me go out into harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. So Ruth proved faithful once again to her mother-in-law, Naomi. She wanted to provide food for them, and the law of Moses provided for something that was called the law of gleaning, which simply meant that widows and orphans were able to go in the fields after the harvester had been through, and anything that was left over, they were allowed to pick up and use it for their own needs. Now, as it happened is simply another way of saying, in God's goodness. In God's goodness, Ruth happened, no she didn't. She was led by providence to the field of Boaz. And then it says, while she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. So Boaz seems to have been a good go- a good boss, right? Because he says, the Lord bless you to his workers. And the workers seem to think he's a good boss because they say, Lord bless you too. And then as they're standing there, Boaz, who was not perfect, I mean, but if we were putting him on the line, he would be way over here on the line, right? He looks around, and look what it says next. It says, then Boaz asks his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? He's not only a good boss, he's attentive to detail. He knows there's somebody out in the field that he doesn't know who it is. So he asks, who is it? And the foreman replies, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. So the foreman speaks well of Ruth. It doesn't matter that she's a foreigner, and the Israelites didn't like foreigners. They especially didn't like Moabites. But he says, you know, this woman came back with Naomi. She's been here since early morning. She's worked all morning with only one small break to go in the shelter. Now, if you've never been to Israel, you might not know that at harvest time in Israel, it is hot. I'm going to use an adjective that my wife doesn't like me to use. It was stinking hot all the time. And they they would have taken a lot of breaks, but Ruth took only one break. Shows that she's an extremely diligent woman. So Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. So again, We see Boaz's goodness and we actually find out why, maybe one of the reasons why Boaz is treating Ruth so well, it's because he realizes she's sort of a relative because Elimelech was related to him and Naomi's married to Elimelech and so Boaz is doing good for a relative and that's very important as we're going to see in a moment. But anyway, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. What? Humility, Ruth shows. She falls on her face and she, she this is not false humility. She genuinely says, look, I'm just, a, I'm just a foreigner. I don't understand why you're doing this. And Boaz replies, I know, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Good for good. That's where I got the title for today's message. Ruth did good for Naomi. Boaz does good for Ruth. And, and as we see, Boaz acknowledges that Ruth is a foreigner, but it doesn't keep him from seeing what an amazing thing it is that this woman who grew up as an idol worshiping pagan is now in the land of Israel helping her mother in law to have enough food to eat, as well as herself. But Boaz is prompted to say something that's crucial. He says, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. So be sure to get that. God uses people to reward the goodness of people. Not always. Sometimes God drops manna from heaven. (laughs) Sometimes God does a miracle directly. But very often what God does is exactly what happened here. He uses people who have responded to his goodness, to his redemption, to share the goodness and redemption he wants to share with everybody, with others. And Boaz certainly is doing that for Ruth. So, Boaz is trying to help Ruth connect the dots. You came out here in hopes of getting food, you came out here hoping that the God of Israel would protect you. And I want you to know he has. Through me, he has done that. You see, every good act that ever happens, all goodness comes from God. We need to know that. Not all goodness (laughs) is done to people who follow God either. Do you realize that there are people out there who are murdering people and good stuff is happening to them? John Calvin, who I don't quote that often, but John Calvin called that general grace. Because God is so good, his goodness rubs off on everybody. We all get air to breathe. We all have food to eat. Not because we're good, because God is good and because God blesses that. But when people are following God, especially these days, we can follow Jesus. We have the, the personal example of Jesus Christ. We get to bless other people. So, Ruth says, I hope I continue to please you, sir. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. So, again, Ruth thanks Boaz, and we're not sure yet if Ruth is connecting the dots, that it's actually God who's helping her, not just Boaz. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. If you're thinking, is Boaz hitting on Ruth? Sort of looks like it, right? Well, actually... You know, when somebody does good, some, something good for us out there in the world, what do we do? We go, mm, what do they want? What's the motive? But what we're gonna see throughout the remainder of the book of Ruth is Boaz is plotting to do Ruth good. So when Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. Now you realize that Boaz's command it's actually like manna came down from heaven. When the Israelites were out in the wilderness, what happened? Every day, six days a week, when they came out of their tents, there was this food on the ground. What's happening to Ruth? She's going to go out, and she's just going to pick stuff right up off the ground. She doesn't even have to look for the stuff. They're going to leave it there for her. So Boaz is, again, acting in the place of God in giving goodness to Ruth. So Ruth gathered barley there all day. And when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. So Ruth got to the field early in the morning. We've already been told that. She was there until dark. And then after she was done harvesting the grain, she actually beat out the grain and only brought home the good stuff. And the good stuff was an entire basket full. And that's an incredible amount. I've never actually had to do what Ruth had to do, but nobody could get that much grain in one day under normal circumstances. So now Ruth shows Naomi God's provision. It's an amazing heart this woman had. Remember, where did Ruth grow up? Moab. What was Ruth? She was an idol-worshipping pagan. If we were putting her on the line, she's probably somewhere down here. And yet she ends up with a heart that's after God's heart, which is good news for all of us wherever we are on the line right now because it means that all of us have the opportunity to be redeemed and to have God's goodness work in our lives. So Naomi asks a question, where did you gather all this grain today? Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. And Naomi realized it wasn't possible for Ruth to come home with as much grain as she came home with. No, just not possible. And so she said, somebody must have done this. Somebody did you a big favor. And so she offered God's blessing on whoever it was that helped Ruth. Isn't there a lot of blessing going on? You see, first of all, Boaz blesses his workers. The workers bless Boaz. Boaz blesses Ruth. Ruth blesses Naomi. Naomi blesses Boaz, even though she doesn't know who Boaz is yet. So here's the thing we learn from that. God intends us to pass his blessing forward every time we receive it. Have you ever been blessed by God? I asked that question this morning of the people that came early to prepare for worship. And I said, did you breathe in the last 30 seconds? 25,000 times a day we breathe and it's all a gift from God. Every single breath. I figured it out, 9,125,000 times a year I breathe. I figured it out, 953,125,000 times I breathed in my life. And every single one was a gift from God. And so when we receive, whatever we receive, we're supposed to pass it on as Boaz did, as Ruth did. Because when we're redeemed, (laughs) the best thing we can do is help other people who are not yet redeemed to see what redemption does, or even people who have been redeemed to be encouraged and challenge to grow. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Now, did you catch that last phrase, family redeemer? I don't know much about Hebrew. In fact, I took one semester in seminary. And while I was taking that one semester, I translated the book of Ruth from Hebrew into English. And I know the most important word in the book of Ruth, Goel, family redeemer. The reason it's the most important word is because throughout the Old Testament when the prophets are talking about the Messiah, guess what they call him? Goel, our family redeemer. Boaz was not Jesus. But Boaz was acting as the family redeemer, as Jesus acts for us to bring freedom when we're in slavery. In Ruth's case, it was poverty. And he brought her out of that. And as we're going to see next week and the next week, don't want to spoil it if you haven't read the rest of the book of Ruth, but Boaz shows that he truly is the kinsman redeemer. But for us, um, here's what it is, what it means to be redeemed. It means to receive Jesus' freedom. And to live in the Holy Spirit's power. And when we do that, we not only receive that to ourselves, but we share it with other people. So it says, Then Ruth went, said, What's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. What a perfect ending to a perfect day. Now Naomi affirmed that Boaz would keep Ruth safe. And what, what, what Naomi didn't say is, huh, everything's perfect. Because Elimelech was still dead. Ruth was still a widow. But what we find is that God's goodness rewarded Ruth's goodness through the man Boaz. Boaz. How important it is when we live in this fallen world and we see people who are discouraged, people who are going through a difficult time, for us who have received God's goodness to share that goodness. And actually, I find it encouraging even when I'm having a good time and somebody comes along who has received God's goodness and shares God's goodness with me as well. The last verse of Ruth tells us what happened to Ruth and Naomi, not only through the barley harvest, which is the harvest they were in, but the one that came after, the wheat harvest. It says, so Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, this is not, and they all lived happily ever after. This is Ruth worked really hard every day. Even though the grain was on the ground, she still had to pick it up. She still had to thresh it out. She still had to carry it home. It was a hard day every day, but God provided. That's the point. God provides for his people. And wherever we stand on the line doesn't really matter because God is good to everyone. And God's goodness is demonstrated to other people through those who already Know him. And so sometimes people on this end of the line do occasionally and maybe often receive tangible results as Ruth did. And here's the, the next step for all of us this week because we can learn the lesson that Boaz taught us I will seek to bless another's faithfulness this week. Unfortunately, bad things do happen to people on this end of the spectrum all the time in a fallen world because nobody's perfect except for Jesus. But when we've received God's faithfulness in our lives, we have the opportunity to share that faithfulness with one another. And the thing that I've experienced over the years is especially when somebody's on this end of the line and we show them the goodness and love of God, it speaks volumes about the God we love and serve. Amen?
1: The Christian life is simple, but it's not easy. And Boaz, he made it look easy. He just made it look like doing the right thing comes naturally. But remember, Boaz was a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus makes it easy to do the right thing. And for those of us that have Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have the Holy Spirit in us, which allows us to do the right thing and to live this Christian life. But if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today's the day. Here in New Life, we say that it is simple as ABC. A, we admit. We admit that we are sinners and that we need Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And B, we believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And C, we confess. We confess that we need Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we commit to following Him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right now, I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation. And you can either say it along with me, or you can say it in your own words. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and that I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I need Jesus to help me do the right things. And Lord, I believe. I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I believe that He is your Son, God. And I believe that Jesus came to this earth and that He died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that He rose on the third day, just like He promised that He would. And God, I confess, I confess that I am a sinner and that I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I commit to following Him every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I will do my best to do the right thing and to be a glimpse of Jesus to those in my life. In Jesus' name I pray.